Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. Today, I have a very special guest on. Her name is Michelle Dickinson and this chick is amazing. I can't wait for you guys to meet her. So stay with us. We will be right back. And we're back. We are ready to bring Michelle on. Let's go ahead and bring her on. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, Ken Walls. How are you? I am wonderful. It's great to have you here. It's like to be here with you. Are you? Mm-hmm. A little birdie told me that you're nervous. Oh, just a little. It's a good thing to care. <laughs> no need to be nervous. So we're just here to have fun and, and talk about um, life and yeah. your life, in fact. And, you know, I started the show. It's been almost exactly three years ago. I, I got to go look at the the, the date, <coughs> excuse me, um, of my first guest. But it was in it was in April three three years ago. Wow. So, yeah. Um, you know, I really, I enjoy helping people have a breakthrough in life and get through all the, the crap. And uh, do you know this dude, Dominique? Yes, I do. <laughs> He's awesome. He's been on the show. Awesome. So um, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about where you were born and raised. Where I was born and raised. Well, I live where I was born and raised in Westfield, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's my hometown. I grew up here. It's a familiar place. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that's your life. Thanks for stopping by the show. <laughs> you asked me where I was born and raised. I told I you. Know, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so, is that where you went to, like, you went to school? Yeah. Went to yeah, I went, yeah. And- I served in, in Catholic school for a few years, uh, probably like six years, and then I went to public school. And What's that I, mean, served? <laughs> anyone who's been to Catholic school will say they served because it's not easy to get through a Catholic school. Oh, 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 it's like doing time. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my gosh. So, and when did you, so how old were you when you flipped over to public school? I think it probably was like uh, junior high, junior high around there, like right after elementary. Okay. And yeah. what was it? What was it like? What was the difference for you between being in Catholic school and going to public school? Was it a shock? Was it? I mean, it's, it was much more casual. You know, it was it was a lot less strict. I think Catholic school was very, you know, had a lot of rules, a lot of discipline. So <laughs> Kent's therapy session, <laughs> that's what it feels like. <laughs> You're not wrong, Joe. Um, oh my God. <laughs> and then you go to public school and it's like culture shock, right? Cause it's sort of like, you know, just a little more relaxed. So yeah. yeah. And, and so this is all in New Jersey. 
all in New Jersey. Beautiful. Where's your, where's your Jersey accent? You don't sound like a Jersey girl. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. That's the greatest compliment. <laughs> can, can you get, can you come out? Do you have one that you not just really. hide? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I've heard some that are like, dude, you're from another planet. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just, it wasn't, it was something that was not very appealing or attractive to me. So I made sure to not sound like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Way to go. So, um, so you, you, okay. So talk about what was it like for you? Okay, hold it. Let me ask this question. See, I think that, that the direction that we go as adults, most of the time was, because of a person or an event or people yeah. in our lives as children. D does anything come to mind when I say that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that my childhood and, and our childhood shape us without, um, without a doubt. I mean, my childhood yeah. shaped me. My mother uh, was bipolar. So that shaped me and that turned, you wow. know, and that like had me have a very different experience than than the kids around me. So, um, so yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, those are your formative years. So, what do you think it was? What was the big thing? Well, I mean, so if I could share, I mean, my my mother was bipolar, so it was a lot like being on a roller coaster with her. You know, manic highs, deep depressing lows. So you sort of learned how to, how to navigate that, you know, you become a chameleon, I guess. Um, and it also taught me how to find sunshine on a rainy day, you know, how to find the good in a situation. So, yeah. Yeah, it definitely shaped me. And then, you know, fast forward and here I am a passionate mental health advocate out to change the world to create more compassion. I mean, that would have never happened if I didn't grow up in such a challenging childhood and witnessing the pain of my mother's bipolar disorder. Now, now is that like that? It was medically diagnosed that she yeah. she's okay. Um, I, cause I don't think I've ever, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I won't go there. Okay. Um, I may have known people in the past, but, um, but I don't know that there was ever any kind of a, um, <laughs> Joe, Joe said, I'm the sunshine in this story. <laughs> Oh my God. What's okay. wrong with him? Speaking of mental health. Um, so, so with um, how, I mean, how does one become diagnosed with bipolar? How does that, like, how do you even like go, Hey, I'm going to go get checked and see if I have bipolar. <laughs> no, I think my mom, um, I mean, it, we have a theory that my mom had some underlying trauma that, she was, she eventually became triggered and recalled it and then and then suddenly wound up getting very very nervous and upset and then would ultimately have to go to the hospital so i think that her first it wasn't like i went to the doctor and was diagnosed it was she hit crisis had to be hospitalized had to undergo shock therapy Jeez. I know. And then come out and try to reintegrate into her family for, for her life, you know? And so my gosh, that's how, that's how we, we knew. Did you have siblings? I had two cousins that lived with me um, that my okay. parents had taken in. So, but they were with us for, I don't know, a few years and then they left. Um, so it was 
mostly me dealing with my mom and caring for my mom and making sure she was okay. Because, you know, my father was the breadwinner. He worked, he worked for IBM and, and he spent a lot of time at work. And there were moments when my mom was just too, she was too uh, fragile to be left alone, but not yet that severe to be hospitalized. So oh, I would go home from school and have to look after her. And we would lie that I was sick with a sinus infection or something. My gosh. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, um, man, that's a lot to put on a little kid. It shaped me. Yeah. You know? Did you end up going to, um, going to college? I did, but um, because my mom was, was sick, my parents didn't want me to go away to college. So they asked me to stay home and then I just hated the county college. So I quit. And then I, I got a, I got a good job. And eventually during my pharmaceutical career, I went back to school and I got my associates, my bachelor's and my master's. Wow. You are an overachiever. So you, you got a good job in what pharmaceutical sales? No, I was, um, it's so funny because like I started out in the pharma industry as a secretary without an education who could hardly type who wow. I, my first boss had like pity on me. I swear I failed, <laughs> I failed every test. They made me take a typing test. They made me take a, a Microsoft proficiency test. I failed horribly. And they still gave me a shot. And so that was my first job. And I just worked my way up from a secretary to doing medical education for physicians to then land into the regulatory space. And then I was in regulatory quality where I eventually would leave the industry as a director. And I was quite proud of that. What's re what regulatory quality? What's that? What is that? <laughs> regulatory quality is the arm of the organization that is responsible for uh, procedures related to the Food and Drug Administration requirements or the EMEA oh. requirements. Um, okay. So just making sure your regulatory professionals are compliant. Got it. Wow. <clears throat> so you dealt directly with the physicians or? So my primary client um, in my last roles in regulatory quality were the regulatory people interacting with the health, uh, health authority or, you know, whoever was responsible for manufacturing the products. Got it. Okay. So how long were you in that industry? 19 years. Really? So you yeah. started when you were two. <laughs> I started wow. young. I was, yeah, I was really lucky. Like I said, I wow. went to school while I was working. So I didn't have that period of time from high school to, you know, college to then get a job. I was working. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, so at, at 19 years into this, did you get fired or did you quit? Did you, what happened? Yeah. So, you know, I really believe that life is always happening for us and it's unfolding for us, even if we can't see it. So what happened was I got nominated to give a Ted talk um, within my company. We had a TEDx platform. So I gave a Ted talk about the experience of loving and caring for my mother, my bipolar mother. And that changed everything that actually led me to write my book, Breaking Into My Life, which wow. is a memoir uh, to humanize what mental illness is like for people that love someone and what that experience was like for me growing up and sort of what I learned from that. And I got really connected to just wanting to use my story to cause change 
And I was doing a lot of public speaking. I was doing a lot of podcasts. I was loving it. And then my position in my company became eliminated. So um, I had a choice. I had a choice. Do I go into another pharma job or do I follow my passion to cause change and make a difference in the world? And that's what I did. Wow. So did you have the choice to move somewhere else in the company or? No, I mean, I mean, I could, I guess, I guess it was sort of like this crossroads. I could have fought to probably stay within the company if I wanted to, because they, they, they wanted to try to find places for people. But I think at that point I was so connected to this work that I was like, I have to find a way, like I have to find a way to make this work and go and do work that lights my soul on fire. So that's why I was like, no, this work is great, but it's not where my heart is. Yeah. I love that. So, um, so you, you, uh, did you along the way, did you like have kids get married? Did you? Yeah. So it's a funny story. I know that this is, you know, it, it's a funny and kind of, um, it's a story of triumph in my opinion. So I, uh, when I was working in the pharma industry, uh, right before my position was eliminated. I was going through a divorce. I was married for 16 years. We were together for 19. And, and so the marriage was coming to an end and I had no anticipation that like I would ever, you know, lose my job. Right. So I, this is a true story in May of, I don't remember what year it was in May. I, on a Monday, I went to divorce court and divorced my husband. And that's, Wednesday, two days later was when I found out that my job was being eliminated. Whoa. So in one week, that was a lot, a lot of change to deal with. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And what, so at that moment you were like, okay, I'm really confident about this divorce. It's all going to be good for me and the world. And, and I got this good job. I'm going to be okay. And then bam, no, I don't. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That had to be a shock. Yeah. Because, you know, anything that, you know, I'm, I'm a creature of certainty. I love certainty. So at least in one area of my life, I felt like something was certain and I was going to be okay. But then when both it's like the, the legs underneath me fell and I was like, Oh man, like now what, now I have to really figure this out by myself. Yeah. So, So yeah, it was, it was definitely a big moment, a big turning point for me. So, um, on, so that was on a Wednesday. So what, what was Thursday like? (laughs) (laughs) It was not, it was, it was definitely, you know, it was so weird because I had planned this party for the following Saturday to, it was, it was called the next chapter party. It wasn't like, you know, happy Michelle's happily divorced. It was to celebrate the next chapter of my life. I had invited all my friends to come over and celebrate with me. Little did I know I was going to lose my job. So like, I still had the party. They all came and I was like, so now I'm unemployed and divorced. (laughs) Did you, did you call them all and say, and if you could bring a 20 spot with you, that would be good. (laughs) Please. (laughs) To contribute to my next chapter. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but you know, honestly, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I mean, I I laugh at it now, but I definitely was struggling. I definitely, you know, I had been diagnosed with depression early on in the divorce process. I have no problem talking about that. 
Um, I had never been diagnosed with depression in my life. I just dealt with seasonal depression. But um, so I had a therapist and thank goodness I was able to, you know, make sure that I was getting in to see him and, and get my appointments in um, just so that I could navigate it powerfully. Yeah. Good for you. Wow. Um, and hey, I think that uh, therapy is a great thing, by the way. I've, I've been there. So, um, so <clears throat> how long ago was that? So my, uh, so I've been divorced since 2018. So it's been about a few years now. Yeah. Okay. So you were diagnosed with depression. Mm -hmm. Um, you were going through therapy and then, then what, what, what started happening for you? What, what direction did your life go after you made the decision to pursue your, your, passion did you go look for a job did you think about going and looking yeah for a job? you know it was the dance that you do right like uh you know it's a very comfortable life to work um nine to five for 19 years and have a consistent paycheck that it's hard to reimagine your income other than that so of course i danced between applying for jobs and trying to do my own thing and applying for jobs and trying to do my own thing. And it didn't work. My energy was split. I was like half hearted about the applications. And then, you know, looking over here going, what do I do next with this company I want to create? So I had to, um, I had to just sort of make a decision, put a line in the sand and say, this is what I'm doing. Um, but you know, I think a very important aspect of navigating my depression. And I, I tell this story all the time is, you know, when things were not going well, my personal life and my career, the one thing that was going well was my health. And I wanted to leverage that to get momentum. So my, my cousin said, let's do a triathlon. And I threw myself into training for this triathlon so that um, I could get momentum in my life in one area. And it totally worked. Like I had asked my doctor for medication and he was like, oh, you have to find ways to navigate this. This is a life experience. And just the training and the eating well and feeling good about my body, all of that gave me like this incredible momentum that I was yeah. able to then be able to clear my head and go, okay, enough with trying to apply for jobs that you really don't want and really just focus on the direction you want to go. Put all your energy in that direction and, and stop getting distracted. Good for your doctor for saying no to the meds. Uh, that 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 makes me happy to hear that because I am I'm not a fan of of those those meds. Um, so uh, I think that so you you um, you focused on 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 this. Did you do the triathlon? I did, and I just signed up for the one in July because it's back. I, I saw that on Facebook. I'm so excited! Thought, I'm so excited. Yeah, that's that's. Wow. I mean, that's pretty serious. The triathlon stuff yeah. like that's biking. How far? Yeah. So if I remember correctly, it's a quarter mile swim. It's um, it's a it's a 5K run and like 15 mile ride. That's yeah. You train for it. Come on, Ken. If you train for it, you can do anything. You just have to put a plan together and train. That's all. That's that is true. That's okay. true. Yeah, for everybody but me, I could not do a triathlon. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, so, so you you got focused on that. Your your doctor said no to meds, which I think is is awesome. 
um, and you focused on creating your own meds in your brain, mm-hmm. and um, which are endorphins and and all mm-hmm. of that that fun stuff. Yeah. And and what were you doing along the way? I mean, I assume that you needed to to have an income along the way. Yeah. Money, right? Yeah. Or, or were you just independently <laughs> wealthy and set for no. life? It's funny. I found myself uh, coaching Koreans. I don't know if I told you this or not, but I was. No, what? I coach Koreans. Yeah, I have. Um, I have a group of women that I coach. I, I had. I had way more at one point, but now I only have a, a small handful. Um, I coach them in English. Many of them live in Seoul, and they are um, working in the pharmaceutical industry. So I have a unique perspective because I've been there for 19 years. So when we're talking in English and we're talking about um, they want to improve their English, they want to improve their communication with their counterparts in their in the American companies. So I'm helping them with that, and I'm also helping them with their with their challenges in life in general. So. How did, uh, wait a minute. We're not just going to go blowing <laughs> past that. How in God's name did you get involved in, uh, and why Koreans? Where did that come from? I don't know. It's, and you know, I love What do you mean you don't know? Like the, the, the no, I do know. Korean showed up at your door and went, hello, Michelle. We were like, what, how did that uh, come about? No, no. I, I, at the time, let's see, in the very beginning, I was connected to some people in the mental health space who were passionate like me. Um, and they just wanted to do good work. And so I did too, but I needed to eat. So I remember talking to my one, um, my one friend and I said, Hey, how are you doing all of this great mental health work, you know, pro bono? Like, how are you eating? Because I need to eat. I want to do this work, but I I need to eat. And he said, Oh, well, I coach Koreans. And I said, hook a girl up. (laughs) And so he, he, he introduced me to, uh, to the organization and I've been uh, coaching with them ever since. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what like you coached like <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. So so you 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 get you get introduced to a group of Koreans that, uh-huh. that are actively seeking coaching. Yes, yes. Many of them are really looking to upscale their English. Because in order to be effective interacting with their colleagues in the U.S., they want to really elevate their English, so they do, and, and that's how they do it. And I and I love the culture between you and I, Ken. I love their culture. I just spent part of my Easter Sunday at a Korean spa. I love it. I absolutely love them. Yeah. So so you you um. So I, I can't even imagine. Like I, I've never been in that 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 situation i coach too but i I, like i i don't i've never coached a group of koreans so day one you show up for korean coaching (laughs) class or whatever like how how does that work (laughs) you get to know them come on they're not aliens you get to well if if they were living here they would be so 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 I'm not, I'm not making fun. I have a lot of Korean friends, but I just, I, I, okay. So now here you are, this American that, that do you speak Korean? I do not, not a drip. Holy mother of God. Okay. So, so you, you show up 
Oh my God. Okay. So you show up, uh-huh. you're going to coach Koreans. Uh-huh. Is that you're obviously highly qualified to coach Koreans? <laughs> Wise guy. <laughs> I mean, come on. What, so how did it go the first day you show up? How many people were there in the, in the um, class? It's one-on-one. It's one-on-one. Oh. It's not a class. It's one-on-one okay. coaching around whatever they're, they're, whatever is there for them to work on, whether it's they're writing an email, um, they're working on a report, they're working on a slide deck, if they just want to have a conversation about what they're dealing with. It's it's a, an assortment of whatever whatever they need support with, and is it all like pharmaceutical related or? It's ironically all the people that I coach happen to be in the pharma space, whether they're in a clinical company or in a pharmaceutical company. They're all connected to the industry, so it's helpful that I I have the same knowledge as them. <laughs> I suppose probably would help if you spoke Korean. I'm just saying, but not not if they're trying to improve their English. I I get it, but I'm just like picturing like <laughs> when they say, you know, how do you say? Uh, I, yeah, wow. So so how long have you been doing that? Uh, probably since maybe maybe three years now, two and a half, three years. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It is really cool because like there's always so much for me to learn as a coach. Like as much as I'm sharing with them, I'm learning a ton about their culture, about the challenges that they're dealing with. I'm sort of learning about especially with the um with the coronavirus, like what's going on in your country and then they they go what's going on in your country so we get to talk about that. Right. Okay, <laughs> <Looking> girl. <laughs> Coaching career. <laughs> <laughs> that, is so, that is so funny. I don't know why I find that so funny. Oh my gosh. Lisa Patrick, she's amazing. There's a friend of mine in Canada. Um, so do you know Lisa? I don't. I don't. Nice to meet you, Lisa. She's amazing. So you're their sounding board and mm-hmm. and you get to help guide them in their mm-hmm. pharmaceutical careers. Now are they in are they what what positions are these people in the pharmaceutical world? You know, it depends. The one woman I am coaching is like a VP for Novartis. Another woman I'm coaching is a, um, she works for, actually she works for a tech company where they're doing mergers and acquisitions. She was blowing my mind about, um, about, you know, avatars and the future of tech, just like mind blowing. Another girl just got laid off. So I'm helping her stay empowered around her, you know, what she's going to do next. So we're going to look at her resume and stuff. Another girl um, was diagnosed with cancer. And I, I basically was helping her, like holding her hand and keeping her empowered throughout that entire journey. And not good, oh, yeah. she's healthy now, but like, you know, life shows up. And so people just need support, you know? So yeah. I just, I just serve. I just show up and serve however they need me. So amazing. Absolutely. I did not know that about you. And I think that is absolutely amazing. Wow. I want to coach Koreans now. Yeah. I think everyone does. That's listening. (laughs) (laughs) I I just put myself out of business. Now all these coaches are going to go after my Koreans. There you go. Um, that's amazing. That's absolutely really cool. So, but let me ask you that. I mean, I guess uh, it it does kind of go in line with the 
the mental health stuff that like you have a business. Right. Let's yeah. talk about your business. What's it sure. called? Trifecta Mental Health. My my website is uh, careforyourpeople.com. Care, like F-O-R? Careforyourpeople.com. I'm going to put um, it up on the screen, so I want to make sure I spell it right. So it's care, F-O-R, your people.com. Okay. <clears throat> so what I do is I work with organizations, mostly HR leaders and company owners who just want to do more for their people right now. Um, you know, we're dealing with a mental health crisis. We have one in three Americans dealing with depression or anxiety right now. Um, and if we don't help these people, um, you know, I don't want to say what's going to happen, but, you know, it's an opportunity for employers to really show up and empower their people and, and have them feel supported. I think we need to move away from here's the 800 number, go call a doctor. It's like, well, what else can you do to be empowering your people? And I have programs that do that. Um, and I'm really committed to causing change and creating more compassion in the workplace. You know, um, and I normally get into this later in the show, but I want to bring this up because I think that um, this is incredibly important. A friend of mine runs um, the entire state of Ohio, the suicide hotline the for the, the whole state. And he's the director or whatever. And, and, you know, we were, him and I were talking and this was mid 2020. And he said that their phones were just nonstop. Like the, the, the suicide rates have just skyrocketed since this whole um, coronavirus thing. And if somebody reached out to you and Mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm barely hanging on to life. I can't, um, I just can't figure it out. I can't pay my bills. I can't, you know, I mean, there's so many different things that, that cause, um, what, what do you, what do you say to somebody that's just barely hanging on to help them get through that? Well, I think that the first thing we can do is provide that voice, um, that listening for their voice. A lot of times, um, you know, we we feel like we have to fix it. We feel like I'm not going to touch it because I don't know what to say. And in many cases, simply listening and hearing what they're dealing with is the first step. And then bridging them to support is is really the next step. Um, and in many cases, people don't realize that if someone is in crisis, you can they can very easily go to the emergency room and get support. Um, you know, there are like you said, there there are crisis lines that you can call. But if you have a loved one, um, no hospital is going to turn you away. They're going to support you. Um, but I guess I don't want people to think that. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I won't be able to help them. You, you probably will be able to help them just by listening. What about the <clears throat> the feeling of I'm not qualified to help them? I mean, you know, I sit here and I listen to you. Obviously, you've helped a lot of people with this, you know, but what about the people who, I mean, you have a master's degree. But what you is know, qualified? No, right. like, it, it's having a heart. It's having a heart and being a human being. We, yeah. we may we overcomplicate it. It's literally just about being a caring human being that can make all the difference for someone. Um, 
So That's don't true. take it on. Don't take it on that you're like I have to perform the role of a clinician and oh my goodness like that's a lot to carry like simply listening and extending yourself and uh, and getting their worlds being generous with your with your listening um you know people people long to feel heard and when they're struggling the biggest thing when they finally feel like they they should talk about it and get out of their head my goodness listening can be so powerful and so that's for that's for people who are helping mm -hmm. the people with with w that are going through whatever. But the people who are actually going through it, do they? I don't. Do they even? Because I've been through it. I mean, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and trust me, when you are already depressed, and then you put a depressant in at yeah. ungodly amount to, to, into your body. Um, you just get more depressed. And, yeah. and so, you know, I, I can remember many times thinking, what's the point of, of living? I, I can many, many, many times throughout mm -hmm. my drinking. Um, how, how do you, I don't, I, and I never one time ever thought, well, I'm going to go to the hospital or right. I need to tell somebody that I'm in a funk or I'm depressed or I'm, you know, feeling. But that's it. But that's it though, Ken, like get out of the vortex of your head and, and talk to someone that could be. Right, but I'm, what, how do you get people to do that? Cause I don't think most people do. I don't think most right. people are willing or it's not even willing. I, it takes courage. It does a lot of courage. I, I say be a stand for them and, and always be checking on them. How are you doing today? How are you doing today? Hey, woke up in a funk this morning. How are you doing? Open the door, just open the door and create the space. And when they're ready to talk, they will know that you're the one that they can go to. Yeah. Forcing someone is not the solution, right? No. Like, like that, that will never work. So I say create the space and the invitation and relentlessly love them and check on them. Again, what if it's, what if the, nobody's aware though? What, what about, the person who's actually going through it and they haven't told anybody they're going through it and they're, they're feeling depressed and they're scared to reach out to somebody. They're scared to talk to somebody. They're worried about judgment, whatever yeah. it is, you know, I mean, I, 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 have often wondered, you know, the people who actually commit suicide, um, it's devastating for the people who love them. Devastating. Yeah, because, you know, I, I know I, I, I know personally of of someone that that did this and it was devastating for the people who loved him. Yeah. And and, you know, I, I think why why wouldn't you what what has to happen in the human mind yeah. in someone's brain to get them to that point? of, of saying, I'm, I'm done. It's over. Yeah. It, it's the hopelessness. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that I, I preach is you have to, you have to find the courage to talk to someone, whether it's your best friend, your partner, your, your mother, someone, you have to find the courage to talk about it because when you stay in the vortex of your mind, you know, we make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. So if you could, if you could find the courage to just find someone you trust to talk to, it doesn't have to be a doctor. It, it just could be a friend. It, it could even be 
a listening hotline. Like in my community, we have something called Caring Contact. These are trained listeners. They will just listen to you. You call, you just, and even the hotlines, like the, the one that your friend runs, yeah. they will just listen to you. So just get it out. Find some place to get it out. Then sit in your head and, and just go into this vortex. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the recovery movement, we have a, we have a saying, my mind is a dangerous playground. <laughs> you know, don't go, don't hang out there too long. If, no. if you're feeling, if you, if you're in a funk, one of the things that I talk about a lot is, is, you know, if you're, <clears throat> I do know this, it's impossible for the human brain to hold two thoughts at the same time simultaneously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so, when I'm focused, I literally just released a gratitude uh, manifestation journal, and it, it it got published yesterday. And mm -hmm. I, I I'm I'm because I want people to start focusing on what they want to attract in their lives and what you know. So when you're in a funk, when you're in a depression, one of the best things that you can do, and I'm speaking from a lot of personal experience, mm -hmm. me. Not telling somebody else, me yeah. experiencing yeah. it. And and that is go help someone else. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's go to their house and get on your hands and knees and scrub their floor, yeah. take their trash out, weed the flower bed, help yeah. somebody else feel better about their life. And when you're focused on helping someone else, it's literally not possible for your brain to focus on your crap at the same time. So true. You, so you true. agree. Because, you know, I like that better than think of the three things you're grateful for, because people just they just want to smack you when you say that <laughs> yeah. like three yeah. things. But when you get into action and you actually extend yourself to someone else, you can't be you can't be in your head about whatever you're worried about. Yeah, you're right. You're mm -hmm. right. So if it's so care for your tell me about that and your organization and what you, what you do and, sure. and all that. Sure. So um, care for is my company site. And what I do is I work with organizations to bring them programs that empower their people. Now more than ever, people have blurred lines between work and life. They're working from home. They're trying to be parents, teachers, employees. They have a lot of pressure. And, um, and, and gosh, we've been dealing with this pandemic for over a year now. So we have this thing called COVID fatigue. So um, my resilience program, my COVID fatigue program, my loneliness program, all of these programs uh, are offered to employees to really have them get more empowered, implement strategies and structures into their life so that they can start to feel better. These are like tangible things they can do. So that's what I do. Um, ultimately, we wanna shift cultures and have there be a common dialogue about brain health, you know, and, and have people less fearful you know, about, oh, I don't want someone to find out that I'm dealing with something because with one in three Americans dealing with something, chances are pretty good that people around you are struggling in some way themselves. So let's just normalize the conversation. Yeah. That's so awesome. So, so are you, I mean, when did you start this and the company website and all of that? So I started it right before the pandemic and you know, it's, oh, wow. really, it's really an exercise in listening wow. to, to your clients. Right. So so I struggled for the first year just trying to figure it out. I did I did have a couple of really amazing clients and they actually 
helped me by educating me on what they wanted. And that's when my resilience program was born because they were really worried about the well-being of their people at home. So they were like, Michelle, we really need to teach our people resilience. This is not going to be easy. So um, so I was working um, you know, with a couple of clients, building my, my programs, and then um, the beginning of this year, I, that's when I met um, people like Joe Ingram in my Spice Nation community, um, and they've just really helped me sort of cement what my, what my offerings are and um, really helped me push forward, and, and I'm excited for what's going to unfold. Joe's a good dude, isn't he? Really good dude. Yeah, yeah. he really is. He really he's, is. He's a great guy. Yeah, he he comes off like a like a, a smart aleck, but he's 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 a good dude. No, that man has that man has added massive value to me. I'm tremendous. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I love yeah. that dude. Yeah. So so um, <clears throat> and he's probably not even watching because he never stays in one place for very long. <laughs> <Probably. laughs> We're talking nice about him and all that, and and he's not even watching. But so so um. <clears throat> This is a huge need in the marketplace. You are on target. Um, who is that? Who's Facebook user? Say your name. Um, so they're probably in the Grow Live Academy right now. Awesome. So, <laughs> look, Joe Ingram manifesting. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that's so funny. So what, what are you... Um, what are so what are you hoping to to take this what level are you um oh it's dan altmeyer dan hey brother um so what are where what direction are you hoping to take this you know when i set out to create my company i, I was i was thinking you know i could help one person at a time or i can help i can help shape cultures within the workplace um and that's what i want to do i want to i want to reach employees through their employee culture because when you're trying to remove a stigma from our society yeah. it's a great way to go about it by doing it one workplace at a, at a time right people spend how many hours at work interacting with their colleagues so if we want to really eradicate stigma that's how you do it so i really i want to hit every organization i can possibly hit and let's just let's create more compassion and more resilience in the workplace What's your sales pitch? I mean, what do you say? Like, to, who are you calling on? Are you calling on HR? Are you it calling is. on CEOs? Yeah, like it's HR leaders. It's 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 CEOs. I have a CEO who's really concerned about their employees being lonely, working from home, being mm. lonely, right? And they're like, well, what can we do for our people? I had another organization, um, their HR person was really concerned because they largely had millennials, a very social group of people. You know, you put them in quarantine, they were, they were really worried about them. Yeah. So yeah, it's HR leaders, it's company owners, it's just people that wanna do more than traditional EAP. And here's the 800 number, go get some help. It's the, it's the organizations that get that when their employees are engaged, they're performing and that affects their bottom line. When they're not engaged and they're not performing, they're out on disability. They, then you have turnover and then you have high yep. costs. So yep. it's a win-win from a good human being perspective to a bottom line perspective to do more. So give me a real life example without using a name, obviously, but give me an example of how you can, <clears throat> let's say I'm the CEO of Google. Yeah. 
or you know one of the hr leaders at google i mean they have a lot of at home right at home employees um what what can you do so you're talking about a proactive kind of like get in front of this before yeah, it happens. Before. Right? I right. ask leaders all the time, can your organization sustain a suicide? Do you even want to? No. Right. No. But yeah. So, so yeah. So how do you how do what do you do? What you roll out a program to yeah. all of the employees and what yeah. is that program? What what's, so, what's that like? Let's use my resilience program as an example. It's rolled out. It's a it's a webinar. It's interactive. It's the, the, the tenets of it are basically like the first thing we have to do is get present to how we're really doing. And many of us are so busy and so focused that we're not even checking in with ourselves. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to get a present based on a rating system that I have of how you're really doing. And if you're not doing well, then you need to do the following things, you know, and then it's what are you doing on the day to day? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you are you over consuming media? Like what are your daily habits that are contributing to you maybe not feeling the best you can feel? So it's really about what empowerment strategies you want to your people so that they stay in the cockpit of their life and that feeds into their work. Wow. So now I'm, I can, everybody can see that that's not a green screen behind you because lights are moving around reflections of the sun. Um, so that is a very beautiful home that you're in. Um, it, it looks like you've, you've done well. So talk about, talk about what it's an apartment. (laughs) Well, it's a beautiful apartment. Thank you. So, so, Talk about what you think, um, in your opinion, what do you think holds people back in life from, and I, and I'm going to, uh, this is a two part question, but I think that it's related. I, this is my, um, my opinion only, um, what holds people back from financial success and real happiness and joy in life? And I think those are related. I really yeah. do. I, I know people are like, money's not, but I, I disagree. Like money's not every, like Zig Ziglar said, money's not everything, but it ranks right up there with oxygen. It's true. <laughs> right? like, well, you know. I mean, I think you have to think about what your mindset is, right? I think mindset has everything to do with it. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about gratitude before, Um, our mindset around where we are. I mean, I just, I was talking to a gentleman last night who, who is in such disagreement with where he is. And I invited him to consider life is always happening for us. And if you can find within the situation, some of the good, some of the things that you're grateful for are working, that shifts your energy that that's powerful. So for me, I mean, even when it was really dark, I was like, okay, so what's good? Well, I got like 30 of my friends coming over tonight. That's like the best, you know, and what else? I have my health, you know? So it's that it's, it's not disagreeing with your reality. There's a tremendous book called loving what uh, by Byron Katie called loving what is, and it teaches you to not resist what is going on because when you resist what's going on, all you do is create your own upset. 
right? Like you get a flat tire, you can jump up and down about the flat tire. The tire is still going to be flat. You could just get into action and just fix it and move on. Right. So you have to choose. You have to choose your battles. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so um, you, you get people to focus on gratitude. Absolutely. Gratitude is, is the linchpin. And, and I say it all the time. Like it's so it important. every morning. So this is a tip I teach in my resilience program. Every morning when you wake up now, I did it this morning because I saw your message. You, you should not be scrolling social media. You should be either meditating or you should be thinking about three things you're grateful for, because that's literally going to change the trajectory for your day yep. instead of scrolling and scrolling and looking at media and, you know, subliminal messaging and the news and all of that, like start your day off on a clear and empowered note, you know? Um, but we get really caught up in this thing, this, this phone thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. We really do. Yeah. It's an, it's insane. So, so with, with your program, if, if anybody is watching this or, or they happen to listen to the podcast or see the replay and they are the CEO of a company with a couple hundred employees. Um, how can you help them? Absolutely. So first of all, I would love to know what they're already doing. Cause it's, it's in some cases, it's already like they're, they're already trying something. So let's hear what they're already doing and let's see how we can complement that. Cause many organizations are not doing nothing. They either have an 800 number or they're trying to offer, you know, some other types of support. I want to hear what you're already doing. And I want to hear what you are hearing from your people leaders that your biggest concerns are of your people, like the CEO who's concerned about loneliness, right? right like right. I want to know what your, what your concerns are. And if you don't know them, then I have an assessment to do that. Like, let's, let's just get a lay of the land. How are your people really faring? And so um, that assessment comes with all my programs. And then you get some insight into what people are really dealing with. It's, it's super important. Charles yeah. just put. That's my other website. <laughs> is that, is there two, Michelle E. Dickinson? Is that right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's my other website for more about me and my book and my background and my first responder work. I'm also doing first responder work with with my business partner, who's a police sergeant. So we're doing wow. we're doing a bunch of different work. Yeah. So show your book and talk about your book and Yay. talk about when and why you wrote your book. So this is my book. It's breaking into my life, growing up with a bipolar parent and my battle to reclaim myself. Hold that up. So, oh, look at that. That's a beautiful cover. Wow. That's amazing. So talk about the book. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier I had given a TED Talk and um, the TED Talk was what really led me to write the book because I, the power of storytelling is amazing. Yeah. Um, so for long cathartic years, I wrote the book to tell my story of what it was like to grow up with my mom who had bipolar disorder and, you know, how that shaped me into the young woman that I became and then ultimately um, an adult. And in the back of the book, there is an epilogue where I was able to really dig deep and, and find out for myself um, you know, how all of this has really served me in a positive light. So I was able to really recognize, you know, my mother's illness shaped me in, in so many positive ways. And I'm so grateful for that. 
so yeah, that's my book. That's my so, story. It took you four years. It did. You know, it was one of those things, Ken, where I wanted to, I didn't know if I'm going to write another book. I wanted it to be a real vivid reflection so that, you know, when you're reading it, you're with me, you're like sitting next to me and you get the entire experience. So I really wanted it to be that way for people. And a lot of people did say that they felt like they were with me in the journey. So, yeah. There's a great question from Dan Altmeyer. What is the optimum size of businesses that you're looking to serve? You know, it's a very interesting question because I've been fortunate to work with medium-sized pharma companies to small companies. Um, optimal is, I mean, it's interesting because it, it just depends on the number of people that they want to train. If they want to train their entire organization, then we just figure out logistically how to do that. Wow. Really, everyone needs care. I'm not going to say... I'm only willing to work with this size company. I want to help as many people as I can. And we just have to logistically figure it out. What about one-on-one? -on -one? Do you offer one-on-one -on -one coaching to non-Koreans? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's on the other website that your friend popped up there, michelledickinson.com. You can learn about that. <laughs> for one-on-one -on -one coaching. One -on -one. Yes. Now, do you have separate categories for Koreans? and? <laughs> no. <laughs> you are a funny man. <laughs> your your energy is just you're so you just seem um gosh, you seem so happy and and just glowing. Like every time I've ever talked to you, you just seem happy and radiating good energy. Mm, thank you, Ken. Thank you. Yeah. You do. Appreciate that. Yeah. So so it it could be any size company, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would love to try to help as many people as I can. What about a company with um, <laughs> Dennis? Dennis is in China. He lives in, <laughs> he lives in China. Uh, in English, maybe. <laughs> Do they speak English? I don't speak Chinese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, so, so I, I love what you're doing. I love your energy and, um, what's, I thought we were friends. If you by the Bering Straits theory, I may be Korean. What? I don't get it. Charles, that went right over my head. dude. So, so look, I love what you're doing. I, I love your energy. I love the, the way that you're, you're really, you, you can tell that you genuinely care and you want to help people. Thank you. I do. I do. Good. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful so, to you. Yeah. Likewise. Because of Joe, Joe connected us. Joe. <laughs> yeah. Joe Ingram. So, so everybody needs to now, where is the best place to follow you on social media? So uh, Facebook, of course, Facebook is absolutely a great place to follow me. Um, you could go to my website, michelledickinson.com, the other website, and you get all my social media there, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, all of it. But my um, my information for Instagram is michelledickinson71. Okay. So what's the 71? That's the year I was born. Oh, <laughs> Whoops, we just gave away her age. <laughs> it's okay. I'm okay with it. <laughs> oh, wow. You're still a youngster. So, so um, 
let's let's see native americans are believed to have come from korea v- oh oh there you go okay love that well then charles you could you could coach with michelle yeah man <laughs> So, all right. Well, Michelle, are there any final words of wisdom that you would like to anybody that's going through a bunch of crap right now and that, you know, they may be just barely hanging on. What, what, what are some final words of, of hope and wisdom you would leave them with? It don't underestimate that the ones that you think are strong are strong. So checking in on people and just asking them how they're doing can make all the difference for them. They might not have anyone else reaching out to them. So don't step over it. If your gut is telling you to make sure that you're checking on people too, be sure that you're doing that. Um, And especially if people that you know and love go silent on social media, you know, it might be a detox, but then it might be that something is wrong. So check in on the people that you love and the people that you care about. Love that. That's so true. So true. In fact, it's the ones that are going through a bunch of crap that, that yeah. you know, they, they, they try to put on an act of being strong. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I agree. Michelle Dickinson, thank you so much for coming on here, yeah. sharing this time with us and your wisdom and your, your glowing energy and You're amazing. So thank you. I appreciate you being here. Uh, You're welcome, Ken. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, go follow Michelle. Go to um, careforyourpeople.com or go to go to both of them. Just go ahead and go to both. Go to michelleedickinson.com and and check her out. Hit her up. Let's help blow up her business. And if you know any corporations looking for help and need programs put in place, send them over to Michelle. Yes. Thank Thanks, you, Ken. guys. Thank you, everybody who shared this. Have an awesome day. Michelle, stay with me. Uh, I'm going to end the show, but stay with me. I'd like to chat with you. So we'll talk to you guys later. Have an awesome day. See you later. Bye-bye.